sometimes a little more my bloody podcast <laughs> hello everyone Welcome to My Bloody Podcast. We are so excited to be here today, mid-December, almost Christmas. It's all about the Christmas horror movies. We can't wait to talk to you about them. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm with the uh, the fantastic, the, the most givingness, axe-murdering man I've ever met, Preston Barta. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you, thank you. Oh, oh, it's so good to be back. Last week, if you tuned in, we had um, Ella Hunt from Anna and the Apocalypse on our show, and it was kind of a very short show, uh, because we were live on location and had a very short time limit, but we had a good time. It was on location at the Alamo Draft House in Dallas, and we were talking Anna and the Apocalypse, but uh, again, we're going to be talking about Christmas horror movies today. Um particularly a double feature, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 1 and Part 2. Dissect those. We have news, bloody questions, and bloody recommendations. Um, Preston, you doing all right? Christmas shopping's going okay for you? Any masked, murdering Santas on the loose in your neighborhood? Not yet, but I wouldn't doubt if it happened a little bit closer to Christmas. Um, yeah, getting some shopping done. My wife and I are planning a big shopping day this Saturday. Going to drop my son off with his grandparents and just going to go to town. Very, very nice. Are you going to get him some Scream Factory releases? Oh, you know it. Ones that he can destroy because he's gotten his hands on one. He actually got his hands on a very valuable steelbook of mine dented it and then broke the inside piece that holds the disc in place and i managed to super glue the inside piece um i'm too nervous to try to put that dent hammer that dent out from the opposite side or from the inside so yeah i'm I'm having to keep a closer eye on him nowadays (laughs) destroying those steel books you love so much Mm-hmm. That's you should just should just ask for another one. Send a picture of of the little one destroying it, and it'll be a pretty cool marketing piece. <laughs> I wish I could do that with this one. Uh, actually, I went to uh, Movie Trading Co. last week or the week before, and uh, it's one I haven't been to in a long time. One in Garland, Texas, and um, I was about to chalk it up as a loss. Because I had, I still had some money left over on a gift card from movies that I've previously sold back, and uh, I just didn't see anything. And then I noticed that they had their own steelbook section, and I went through it, and I saw that they had Iron Man two um, steelbook, which you know is not the most exciting release out of Marvel, but that particular steelbook is worth eighty dollars or uh some is going for a hundred some's going for 200 uh and it was only 11 dollars at movie trade and co and so i snagged it and then i was so proud of it and then that unfortunate incident happened oh my that sounds unfortunate 
But Iron Man 2 lives on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so yeah. does the little baby. Yes. Um, well, let's get down to the horror news of today's episode on my bloody podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Um, we there, There's interesting news for sure. Let's first talk about uh, every year the National Film Registry selects a number of movies to uh, insert into their registry as films that are culturally significant and important. It's kind of like the Criterion Collection before the Criterion Collection. And there is mm-hmm. an amazing horror movie that made it this year, right, Preston? Yes. Which well, one was that? Um, they, they do 25 a year, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So already Rebecca was in there, 1940 Rebecca. But uh, they have since added The Shining... 1980s original The Shining, and then they also did Jurassic Park, which I guess could be considered horror. In there's yeah, horror elements to that movie. Yeah, there's horror elements. So it's cool that Jurassic Park's in there, but very cool that Kubrick's The Shining is in there because it's really funny. Because I mean, I'm not on social media anymore, but I just want to know what Stephen King has to say about this or his thoughts because he really hated that movie. <laughs> Um, I did get an email that he tweeted out something today. I'll look it up, but I don't, I don't it may have been about that, but I'm, let's see. That's pretty funny because <laughs> I'm sure he has something to say about it. He's still bitter after all these years. Maybe, I don't know, but the shine, maybe, maybe he'll slowly, uh, open up to it. Uh, looks like, yeah, nothing about that. I don't see anything. Okay, okay. So, The Shining is in the National Film Registry, which is awesome. One of my favorite horror films of all time, and I'm sure it's up there on Preston's. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just cool that it made it. That's a great horror film, and it's just amazing. And I'm just surprised it hasn't made it yet, but here we are, 2018, and uh, it is it is out there. It is It is in the registry, along with uh, Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. Pretty cool. Both, Mm -hmm. I think, culturally significant and important in their own right. So, hooray for horror in the National Film Registry, as always. Yes. Um, Moving on. We've talked about Critters a lot on this podcast. Uh, We have not talked about the recent box set of four movies yet in detail. We will at some point after the new year. But um, it looks like people are making a new Critters movie. Um, uh, remake, reboot, sequel, whatever. But it looks like it's going to take place in South South Africa. Um, yeah. Oh, that was good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> DiCaprio would be like, huh? <laughs> if, if you've seen Blood Diamond. Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> South Africa. Um, so I'm excited for I mean, I'm excited and not excited because, you know, I want it to be good. And I just don't know yet, but I like that it's being filmed in South Africa. Maybe a new take. Do you know anything about this? Uh, the only stuff that I've seen is just like a few articles that have just talked about how it was in the works through Verizon Go 90s. Um, you know, they did uh, – what did they do? They did uh, Lake Placid, I think. Or, or wait, right? Do you, Lake- do you know anything about Verizon – I do not. Okay. Well, it was like just some kind of uh, streaming content place, just like a 
an outlet for them to put out critters and it just didn't work out. Um, it, 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 sh- it was shut down or Verizon shut that down. Um, so it had, the project was just in peril. So they, uh, since then, um, sci-fi, the channel sci-fi has picked it up and, um, and that, that's as, as much information as I know that they picked it up and then they're supposedly shooting in South Africa in January. Uh, nothing about a director or any plot details. Uh, but sci-fi has picked it up though? Yes. So is this going to be like Sharknado but with critters? I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, um, I don't – yeah, I hope not. I hope it has – practical effects and that shitty cgi effects i uh, i don't know what to think about this i mean i really wish they would just release re-release the first movie in theaters like that's what i wish they do with all remakes just re-release the original one because it's that good you know yeah yeah like it's um the only the only way that i would want this to be made is if it had the practical effects and still had that kind of trashy element to it and so, but then again, I think about it. I was like, why do it anyway? Why do it if uh, the original does that and it's just fine? Correct, correct. I mean, we're not knocking the movie yet. We're just, we, we have our doubts. And we love this movie so much and horror so much. We just don't want to see this franchise go the wayside by the way of like Sharknado on sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what to think yet. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little worried. You know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So. Yeah. Let me correct something. So, uh, when I mentioned Lake Placid, sci fi obviously did the latest uh, Lake Placid movie. So, I th- let's see right here. It says, while there are no plot details or director just yet, the producer lend credence to my story from last year about Adam Friedlander and Armin Leo, the former who is credited as co producer on sci fi's. Leprechaun Returns, as well as Lake Placid. So maybe they're looking into uh, um, maybe those same people that created those films, Leprechaun Returns and uh, Lake Placid, just just because sci-fi has worked with them before. Well, then there you go. Um, Let's hope for the best with Critters movie. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully we get some cameos. Leo's coming in to direct. (laughs) <laughs> Leo DiCaprio and Billy Zane reprise their roles. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Okay. Moving on. Um, if you ever watched Nick at Night, Nickelodeon, uh, back in the early 90s, you would probably remember shows such as like Family Matters, Roundhouse, Step by Step, um, and an excellent show called Are You Afraid of the Dark, where kids got together told the uh, ghost stories and they act or that there was kind of like a um a fictionalized telling of it why the kids told these stories and they was actually pretty good and they are making a movie are you afraid of the dark with dj caruso directing now dj caruso <laughs> um this is very interesting to me isn't it you uh somewhat but i'm not surprised so, if you don't know who DJ Caruso is, he is a female, a filmmaker, a female, a filmmaker um, who directed movies such as Eagle Eye and Disturbia, 
Um, and most recently, Triple X Return of Xander Cage. So it's just, it's really weird <laughs> that um, I, I don't know what to think about this. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's directing, I mean, is this going to be, I mean, this from his his litany of movies he's done. It seems like it's going to be an action packed balls to the wall. Um, are you afraid of the dark movie? I don't know what I think about this. Um, I'll say I, I, I watched, are you afraid of the dark a lot as a kid? And I, I can't remember too many episodes in particular there's maybe like one with like a, a soup kitchen and like somebody making this really like perfect soup and um had some sort of effect on the customers um but i i'm just not like jazzed about them making a film about it until like i see like actual footage so the fact that dj caruso's uh, attached to it as a director doesn't really have any sort of effect on me because, uh, I mean, I like Disturbia. I didn't much care for his other films, although I did did enjoy, like, the goofiness of the latest X film. But um, I just don't have high expectations for Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I just, I don't know if it, it would be kind of weird if somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson or some other kind of big time filmmaker like stepped into it and be like, Oh my God, it's going to be like the best version of, are you afraid of the dark ever because of it? I, it, it just doesn't have, I, I just don't care. So, uh, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson's, are you afraid of the dark? Holy shit. I just got excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in another reality. <laughs> uh, DJ Caruso, though. Okay, so Are You Afraid of the Dark is coming to theaters at probably some point, and who knows how it's going to be. Um, but for you fans of that show, expect more, and perhaps maybe a TV series if, if this one does well. Who knows? Um, moving on. The only, the only thing that would make it better if it was David Caruso directing it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that was then, then you got my attention. Yeah, I mean that would get everybody's attention, right? Yeah. Um that would be super fun if you got David Caruso to be in and on this. Uh I'm all all for it. I could just bring in all the NYPD blue people and CSI people. I mean, just make it like that. Maybe it is like a CSI NYPD blue episode, and it's just but scary stories. I don't know. Yeah. At so. the end of it, it has like its uh, Scooby-Doo moment saying, but it has to have David Crusoe taking off his shades and being like, it was uh, George the janitor all along or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Speaking of Scooby-Doo and the gang, I have a question for you. This okay. is not a bloody question, but just a question since you brought it up. Do you, I, I cannot figure out for the life of me why um, Scooby and Shaggy are scared of monsters. So do you know why? Um, I don't know. I haven't uh, like really watched the show in a long time, so... Can't really give an opinion, but um, I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't uh, know. It, it just doesn't make sense to me just because it seems like in every episode, and there's thousands of them, the monsters are, I think, would it say 99.9% of the time like real people with just a mask on. So why would Scooby and Shaggy be scared of any monster yeah, they, after that? Yeah, they're they're not skeptical at, or suspicious at all. They'll be like, you know what? I don't uh, I don't feel like being afraid this time because, uh, you know, it ended up just being okay <laughs> each episode. So uh, it's all reason. It's just... It's just like for some, you know, reasons, just plot reasons. It just needs to happen. They got to be that way because it's entertaining to kids and adults too. Um, and <laughs> give me the real answer here, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any science behind it. Okay, okay. Well, I, I was on my mind when you mentioned Scooby Doo in the gang. So um, Let's right move on. on. There's a movie coming out very soon called Bird Box. I haven't seen it yet, but it stars Sandra Bullock, and it looks freaky, scary as hell. It looks like kind of like similar to A Quiet Place, but instead of sound, it's sight. Um, and uh, have you seen it, Preston? I haven't seen it, but uh, one of my writers at Fresh Fiction, Courtney Howard, she saw it um, because she's pretty good friends with the writer of the film who also wrote uh arrival oh wow and um so she got to see it she got to do interviews for it and she gave it a b grade um and that's kind of like where it's sitting around like the people who like it the most kind of find it uh okay to pretty good not great and then there are people who just don't like it um so um i mean i like the casting I like uh, that writer. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Arrival, but um, I think he did Lights Out, too. And I like that one. Which I like, um, yes. So, I don't know. The, the the material I'm interested in, I think it's got good talent behind it. Um, but I'm still, like, all about the quiet, all about the, about quiet place. And so... Um, I think I want to provide some breathing room to just uh, champion that film a little bit longer, um, unless there's just like more positive and positive stuff coming out there. Or maybe you watch it, Brian, and enjoy it, and I'll give it a shot. But, yeah, uh, for sure. I definitely want to see it because it comes out on Netflix very soon, and just like the trailers are really good for it, I think. Yeah. Did you ever see a movie that came out probably about 10 years ago called, I think it was called Blindness? Had, oh yes, was that had with, Mark Ruffalo in it? I think. Yes, yeah. blindness. Um, that was Danny Glover, or Donald Glover. Dan, yeah, Danny Julianne Glover. Moore was in that, right? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I remember yeah, that movie. I, <clears throat> yeah, I remember being really excited about the premise back then, and so I, that's just all I'm thinking of right now when uh, this this film was coming into. Uh, uh, started popping up on uh, websites and the trailer came out. And so that's what I was just thinking of. Uh, but uh, I, I, I like that movie. All right. Yeah. Blindness. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So curious if that stacks up bird box stacks up to that, but we'll see very soon. Cause it's cut them on the Netflix yeah. shortly um, before the end of the year. Um, is there any other movie news before we get to the bloody question? Um, 
Well, I, I wanted to bring up some of the films I've been uh, watching lately, but I don't know if it, we may do an episode on them. But even if we do, um, kind of like what we're doing this week with Silent Night, Deadly Night, because I talked about it last week, even though it was about 30 seconds, and I just really wanted to expand upon that and dive a little deeper. So maybe uh, if I brought up uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, which hit uh, Scream Factory this past week, and talked a little bit about that. Did you did you get that film? Yes, I did, and that film is so much fun and ridiculous on all accounts. See, I don't know. I have a there's like some films that are you know like what we talked about with David Lowry um, a few weeks ago, where you, we said like even horror movies are shitty like they're still fun because you kind of get a sense either that the filmmaker just really just tried and committed and just was not aware that there was like a a a comedic undertone or just was not aware that there was like some uh comedy aspect to the film that was just shining through and people could have a good time kind of like uh the room or something like that um and so I Texas Chainsaw the Next Generation is just like one of those movies kind of like that where it just makes no sense like how the filmmaker who who actually was one of the co-writers of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre directed by Toby Hooper um like how he could craft a film like this and just not really step back from it and be like I you know like I don't know why the, the characters are behaving this way, why they're saying this line because that that's how it feels like when you're watching the movie. Like it is not good at all. It is not a good movie. <laughs> Yet you got like who are uh, Oscar winners now, but were just kind of starting their careers at the time, like Matthew McConaughey and uh, Renee Zellweger. This came out in 1994, and um so now they've kind of realized like what it means to i guess be a good actor pick the right roles but uh generally kind of what happens with a lot of big actors who later become pretty successful they kind of get their start in horror and that helps and you, uh, and you think like you know with somebody like Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger they're like oh i get to be part of this Texas Chainsaw Massacre which was already super famous from yeah. years prior, and they're like, oh, we're going to do a remake? Fuck yes. All right, yeah. all right, I'm getting in this. And then yeah. when you see it, you know, you could tell that it seems like they just, it was just so chaotic, and it looked like they were actually, at least Matthew McConaughey was having the time of his life in that role. <laughs> Dude, he, he was having, he was on a, a whole other planet, because uh, <laughs> there's like one scene where he's, He's just getting so fired up that he's just smacking himself in the face and yelling, <laughs> and um, it's it's just weird. It's like he just like snorted like a Nicolas Cage amount of coke <laughs> and is just going crazy, um, almost like as if you're on the set. Like he was hoping that people, filmmakers, and production assistants or whoever. To just stop in their tracks and just be like, damn, that guy's acting. <laughs> that guy and, is acting. <laughs> and, and so it, it's just weird. It's such a strange experience. And, and that's why I would like, uh, 
it's not like my bloody recommendation, but it's it's just such a it's a shitty movie, but it's just such a bizarre experience because uh, the writing's not good, the direction's not good, but it has like that promise of being like a a different and unique Texas Chainsaw Massacre film because you look at the uh, the box art and it has like. Uh, like a transgender version <laughs> of Leatherface, <laughs> where he's like fil- uh, full on like uh, Buffalo Bill style, like wanting to wear women's uh, skin, and like the the second cover that they have, which I guess was the original cover, um, like shows him wearing like stockings. Yes. And like lingerie. Yet there's like no shot in the film quite like that. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like a mis misguided film. Like it could have ha- could have been like strange in like a John Waters film kind of way like Divine or something. Right, right. Um, but yet it's just it just does not add up at all. And so I think for that reason just to see these big talents come together and just produce this shit is just (laughs) amazing. And luckily Scream Factory gave us a collector's edition of it because, oh man, it is, you have to see it to kind of believe it. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I really like the other, uh, chainsaw films. Like, uh, I mean, well, the first one, um, it's a it's a grueling experience especially when you get to like the last 20 minutes where it's just straight up screaming and it's fucked up and then you get the second one that's uh goofy and fun and cartoonish and then the third one tries to bring like seriousness back to it and i i still enjoyed it it didn't come through scream factory it came through like warner archive collection but uh had vigo mortensen in it and i had a lot of fun with that one um and then, uh, yeah, Screen Factory did this one, but they did like a, a bunch of uh, extras, like bonus features, like interviews with, um, I think they did it with like the cinematographer at the time or who did the film, and then uh, some of like the secondary characters and stuff like that, because I can't imagine that they would get Matthew McConaughey or Renee Zellweger to talk about that because they're so past it all. <laughs> but uh which is unfortunate i feel like yeah. Matthew mcconaughey would have enjoyed being on that interview <laughs> yeah yeah I, I wish it probably wasn't in the budget but um like even they like in these interviews they're talking about like how strange of an experience it was like some things just didn't quite add up like especially like stuff that happens in the end of the film like things kind of like i don't want to spoil anything because you should see it but like things just kind of pop up out of nowhere um and they were not uh established it wasn't like a checkoff's gun type of thing um and it's just insane and so i'm glad that even that scream factory like they'll reach out to all these talents and these talents will just be brutally honest. And they, and it's not like watching like a, a a new star Wars release where you feel that the producers or Kathleen Kennedy is like sticking a knife in their side and being like, you better not say anything truthful. You better make us all look good. Um, (laughs) And like here, they're just saying whatever comes to their mind because they're not uh, tied to their contracts or anything. And so that's what's nice about these uh, Screen Factory releases. Even though they can be like really god-awful garbage films, um, 
you can have such a good time watching them, especially with Rowdy Company and uh, watching these extras because uh, I think everybody knows, is completely aware, like even Scream Factory knows, that these movies are bad, but they're fun to celebrate. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Do it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Next Generation, New Generation, Generation X. We like it. Um, let's do a bloody question. You have a really fun bloody question for us this week. Yes. Um, uh, just kind of looking at you know Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2. Um, you know, he has his axe in the first film, and then he graduates to a gun, or the killer graduates to a gun in the second one. Um, so it just had me thinking about like, what would your weapon of choice be if you were in a horror film or like what has been your favorite, uh, weapon of a horror film from one of these, uh, horror icons, uh, or otherwise. Okay. So definitely a horror film, right? Yes. Okay. So lightsabers are out of the question. Yes. Oh man. N- now I just really want like a horror film that's, a. Uh, set in the star wars universe me too me too okay so uh i i mean do i have to i mean it it's it's the chainsaw hand from evil dead 2 and army of darkness that is my go for it that is my weapon of choice um i mean i think that weapon is awesome uh i don't think it's the scariest weapon i think the scariest weapon at least to me is um freddy krueger's nightmare glove yeah um just because it's just scary on all sorts of accounts, just like I, it's just the screeching sounds it makes, the leather, you know, just it's dirty and gross and grimy and just uh, could do all sorts of damage. And we don't really see it do damage until Freddy vs. Jason. But um, the the weapon I would choose to would definitely be Ash uh, Ash's chainsaw hand because holy god, that thing's amazing, and that's what I, I absolutely yes, yes, yes. Preston, yeah. what about you? Yeah, I was going to highlight Freddy's glove, too, just because I, I like, um, you know, there's like a some. it's very simple when you have like something that Michael Myers wear, uh, uses, which, you know, kitchen knife and things like that, which is uh, regular household items or a pickaxe or whatever it is, an axe. And, you know, I could see those lying around and they don't have sort any sort of a effect on me because... I'm uh, I'm numb to it just because it's around my house, and so I like stuff that's a little bit more uh, theatrical and absurd. And so you know, like Freddy's glove is a good one, uh, just because it's scary when he scratches it on the walls and things like that. Um, if I had to pick one, I really like Tom Savini's uh, crotch gun from <laughs> *Dust Till Dawn*. Sex machine. Yes. <laughs> That thing is awesome. Um, just because that's just insane that he has that and it, crafted oh, that. That makes that okay. That brought up another one, which is like the least practical weapon, but George Clooney's uh, yeah stake like pile dryer. <laughs> yeah, the thing he makes it's just like it just looks so heavy and awkward and difficult to use. Yeah, you could pretty much just take anything out of a Tarantino. Or uh, Robert Rodriguez film where they just, you know, all the weapons are sort of inspired by like Taxi Driver of having like the drawer (laughs) gun that shoots out of your wrist. Yes. Um, Because uh, it's it's very sly. Like uh, you wouldn't be, nobody would notice. And and then you could, but uh, 
it's like big, huge axes from like Resident Evil movies or Underworld that are uh, are the stuff of nightmares. But I'm I'm a bigger fan of like something that's super subtle and uh, is just tucked away and then just pops out. Yeah, oh, that's uh, I like it like that, and it's just so great. Oh, those are so fun. And I would have to say, if it's non horror stuff, it would be like a lightsaber or Thor's hammer because Thor's hammer really can do anything oh, yeah. mostly. But a lightsaber is probably one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. Um, so, but those are not horror. But yes, uh, <laughs> it would be so much fun. Yes, I, 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 we need to make these in real life. Why aren't we making these? Because uh, there'd be a lot of uh, crazy ass murderers out That's there. That's true. That's true. You're 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 correct. Uh, you're correct. Um, Let's not feed into the world's insanity. <laughs> um no let's not um let's not go on that uh that bender right there but i would like i mean well, it'll it'll happen one day yeah okay after bloody recommendations i mean bloody questions we have bloody recommendations where preston and i give a new or vintage horror suggestion that you should watch if you haven't uh seen it yet did you give it another try um, Preston, what is your bloody recommendation for this episode? Okay, so um, I've been going through all the Christopher Lee Dracula films nice. uh, this past week um, because Scream Factory next week uh, is putting out Dracula Prince of Darkness, and uh, I have a few that and uh. Horror of Dracula from 1958, which is the one I'm picking. Um, nice. But uh, Warner Archive, yeah, they did Horror of Dracula, and they also did the Satanic Rites of Dracula, or Rite of, Char- of Dracula, and then and Dracula AD 1972. And so I haven't got to Dracula AD 1972 or the Satanic Rites yet, um, just because I watched these films out of order. Um so I like got Dracula Prince of Darkness from Scream Factory. It just like showed up on my doorstep, uh, doorbell rang and came and I just put it in, watched it right away. And then uh, didn't because I didn't do the research and realized that this was a sequel. And so I watched the sequel before the first film. And so I, I watched it and I was uh, <clears throat> not too impressed by it. Because, you know, when you watch a lot of those uh, older films, as great as they are and and for laying down the, the tracks of horror, um, like they don't hold up very well because the characters are not necessarily interesting and um, it just depends on the sound effects and the score, mainly the score for the score being super loud with horns and crashes and things like that and so um but horror of dracula which i guess was just called dracula back in the day but since then they've added horror of dracula uh from 1958 which has you know christopher lee as dracula but also has peter cushing in it and i love those guys together you know all the hammer horror stuff and uh i like watching some of the other stuff that they did together um because i review some of the stuff that comes from indicator um overseas and so 
I've been having a heyday going through their uh, filmography, especially Peter Cushing. I just really enjoy that guy. Uh, so yeah, horror of uh, Dracula. Um, just I was just super impressed by the film and how well it holds up. Um, it like starts with this guy that, uh, and I'm not gonna remember everybody's name just because you know they're not a part of my daily life and um or or I'm watching another film with them. But uh, some guy comes to Dracula's castle. Uh, to like take over like a librarian position, but he has his own agenda of trying wanting to kill Dracula. But here, you know, in comparison to uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, like um, Christopher Lee is not in it for like the first forty five minutes of the whole movie. <laughs> like he's he's kind of like treated as like like a Jaws kind of thing. Like just save him, like build the characters, and then. But that that's the problem of the film for me. I just don't give a shit about the characters. And it's just amazing to like go into this where this guy's completely interesting and just has this whole agenda and the way that it's shot and the way that it's just written um, and, and the colorization on this particular Warner archive release just looks great. Uh, save for like a couple of shots where they have, you know, wide shots of the castle. They use like a different films film grade and you can kind of tell, but it's fine. Um, and then like, they'll have like kind of strange transitions every now and then. And we can talk a little more about that when we get to like silent night, deadly night, uh, when they jump in time, they have like a, uh, a still, uh, a freeze frame. And then they cross fade into like something to show that time, like 10 years have gone by. So things like that, just kind of strange transitions every now and then. But, um, yeah, there's there's a guy that's trying to kill Dracula, and then uh, when the when this librarian guy gets to the castle, there's a woman there that's uh, being hysterical, and uh, she's saying that she is Dracula's prisoner, and she needs to uh, he needs to set her free, and things like that, and so. Um, and then Dracula pops up and he's very gentleman like, and he's just like, here, here's your room. And if there's anything that we can do to make you more comfortable during your stay, and then he locks the door and, and then that kind of like, there's just like all these little breadcrumbs laid out for you. There's little teases of things that'll pop up later on. So that's causing you to be more engaged with the picture and not, uh, you know, when you get to Dracula, Prince of Darkness, there's just, you know, guys and ladies talking around a table. And um, I just don't care for any of what their dialogue is. Uh, most of it's just like them just talking about the past or in, it's just not interesting to me. So there, this movie, Horror of Dracula, just does a really good job of laying down the groundwork to just properly build up towards the bigger moments that happen when uh, – I uh, don't really want to spoil all of what happens to this guy, but you know, Peter, it, it almost feels like two movies in one. Like once it gets to the halfway point, Peter Cushing comes into the picture and um, he's just an absolute delight uh, to watch. And um, he has his uh, agenda where he's trying to kill Dracula. And then um, there's all these other like side plots going on. Um, what's his name? Michael, the guy who plays Alfred in the Tim Burton 
Um, Batman movies. Yeah, I don't remember his name, but he's the older guy. Older Michael gentleman. G. I want to say Gambone, but that might be uh, that's Harry the Potter guy. Harry Potter guy. Yes. <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah, Alfred from the Batman movies, Tim Burton Batman movies. Um, he's in this very young, and because um, it's nineteen fifty eight, but he's he has a daughter who's. Um, that he's trying to protect and this is where Peter Cushing kind of comes in and he's trying to kind of, he's like playing detective essentially just trying to offer advice on like how to protect her and like keeping the window shut, keep the door shut. You got to put like these, uh, garlic cloves around and things like that to keep her protected. Cause she's been bitten at this point. And there's like, it hints at that, that romanticism that, you know, we've seen where there's, uh, you know, Dracula and his victim. There's like a sense of romanticism with that. And I just feel like this film is like hit hitting at all those elements that we recognize like vampire movies for that, that romanticism. Um, it's got, you know, the stakes, uh, to kill vampires. It's got the sunlight and, and the way that the, um, they kill some because there's other vampires in this um, or people that are bitten. Uh, the way that they kill some of them um, is just really well done for 1958. Like the, uh, the horror effects of um, like when somebody's burnt in the sunlight, like they it's, it's like they did uh, stop motion or something to like show the decay of the hand or for it to just burn up. And um when it comes to like people getting stabbed, they just do it in interesting ways. And so, um, yeah, there's just so much to unpack with, uh, horror of Dracula. And so if you haven't seen it and you haven't seen like any of the Christopher Lee Dracula films, like really just start there and, um, you'll just be completely invested or, um, to want to, go forward with the other films that they've done. And from what I've heard in some of these extras, um, Christopher Lee just got tired of playing Dracula at a certain point, And maybe that's why he's not in the first 40 minutes of the Prince of Darkness. Um, and he just kind of phones it in, but it, it just seems like he's fully committed into uh horror of Dracula. So I, I just don't think it gets much better than that. So uh, yeah, I watched it. Warner Archive put out this great disc, so if you're at all curious, pick that up. And uh, I should be putting out my written review this week um, on DentonRC.com for my Blu-ray column. And I'm just really championing this film. Just really had a good time. And so, uh, yeah, 1958's Horror of Dracula. That's my bloody recommendation this week. Damn good recommendation, too. It is a good movie, and Christopher Lee is always great. Always good. All right. My bloody recommendation this week is a Christmas-themed one because we are in the season. Tess, the season. Um, my bloody recommendation is a 2010 Finnish horror film called Rare Exports. Um, I'm sure, Preston, you've seen this, right? I have not. Okay. Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, 2010 Finnish from Finland, horror film it is quite quite fun 
Um, it is, uh, ooh, this movie's cool. It's kind of like if, like, John Carpenter made, like, a crazy horror Santa Claus movie, <laughs> in a way. Um, it's directed by Jalmari Helander, who his only other credit is that movie from 2014, Big Game, with Samuel Jackson. Um, but, uh, Rare Exports, it's, it's really crazy. So basically this movie is about kind of, uh, there's like this folklore of like this, these Finnish people know in their mountains around their house, like there is this Santa Claus there, but nobody's ever seen him. And every, nobody like people's like, Oh, he doesn't exist. He's a, he does exist. So this family with these kids, uh, who, the family owns like a reindeer slaughterhouse. <laughs> they slaughter reindeer in this movie quite a bit. Um, they try to find uh, this Santa Claus, this version of Santa Claus, and uh, they end up finding uh, several people um, who are you're like Santa Claus, but they're not like the jolly Santa Claus. These are like really like like weird weird fucking people like scary people that are santa claus like a very different uh take on santa claus and uh this family kind of entraps them in cages and then ships them off to other parts of the country to become santa claus uh does that sound weird to you yeah it does but i'm intrigued yeah so um, it's, it's really weird because these Santa Claus people, uh, are supposedly Santa's elves, but they look like Santa Claus and these, this family teaches them not to be like monsters and not crazy or rude and like kind of ships them off for money, uh, to various locations around the world to be like mall Santas and all sorts of stuff. But there is a very like kind of sadistic horror element to it because uh, it is a horror movie. But it is insane um, how this movie ever got made, and it actually done very well. Um, it's it is uh, one that you don't see coming really, and you know it's kind of like the Finnish version, you know, Nordic Viking type stuff. But if you see like the poster of it, you know, you just see like a family with kids all in like winter gear with like crazy guns and like Santa Claus in a cage behind them. Uh, it's super fun and there's nothing else like this. I wish they would kind of make a sequel to this, but this is on something like you haven't seen before, especially in the horror Christmas genre called rare exports, a Christmas tale. Um, this December, this Christmas, you should seek it out and watch it. Uh, damn good movie. I don't want to spoil anything else for you, but just know that there's a lot of kidnapping. There's a lot of Santa Clauses, a lot of like monster ish type stuff in a John Carpenter type of way and a hmm. ton of reindeer deaths. So, um, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Rare exports. <laughs> you should, um, you should check it out. Uh, it's um, it was distributed by Oliscope, um, Oskilloscope oh, yeah. Laboratories, um, and if you see like any you know critics reception, it's got like ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like people love this movie, so uh, you should definitely check it out um, and see Rare Exports. That's my bloody recommendation, Christmas style. This 
week. So, yes, we should move on to our main event, which is also a Christmas horror movie, right? Yes, yes. So, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. We have two movies. Part yeah. one, this movie, it's so weird. It Like, how people got up and... I just think general people are stupid. So, a lot of people... This is one of those movies that people, like, picketed. Sorry, folks. No, I'm not sorry. You're fucking <laughs> stupid. People picketed and uh, protested this movie just because they thought it scared their children of, like, Santa Claus with an axe. So people, like, picketed. And actually, this movie was released the same day as Nightmare on Elm Street and made more money than the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Same day it was released. But it got pulled from theaters. Um, yeah. and uh, because- part, part of that reason, um, because I went to an Alamo screening, like I mentioned last week, if you... Uh, recall that in the 30 seconds I had. Um, I went to a screening where they brought uh, Robert Brian Wilson, the actor who plays Billy, the, the awesome Santa, killer yeah. Santa Claus in the film, when he's 18. And uh, they, you know, they had naturally had a Q&A session. And uh, that was one of the things that the moderator and him talked about was, you know, that fact alone that it made more money than Nightmare on Elm Street. And yet it was pulled from theaters. Uh, part of that reason is because they, somebody uh, put the trailer out or a TV spot out during Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so. Th- it scared the shit out of uh, the children that were watching that. Nice, and... wholesome family scared out of their minds. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that probably was a contributing factor. Uh, and, you know, like when you get a vinyl record and like they show in movies and you have like the, the righteous family, uh, Christian home, good Christian home parents that say that music's the devil. Like this, that, that was just like the scenario here. Like, Got a movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night, Killer Santa Claus. They're just going to take this movie. It was made by the devil himself. And, it, and it's, so, you know, it, it's not because the movie actually, yeah. you know, is a like under big underline and like blatant message of child abuse and yeah. uh, I guess religion and how it could be a detriment to children if done wrong. <laughs> Right. And, uh, man, this movie has, it's crazy. People don't like this movie and I have no idea why. Yeah. Well, um, I'm so glad I got to watch it in a theater setting just cause, um, you know, I, I watched it a long time ago and then Scream Factory put out, um, their collector's edition last year before Christmas. Um, I believe, or maybe the year before. Um, <clears throat> and so I got to watch it that way too and but man watching it with an audience is just such a great thing because that's when you begin to realize just how special it is because those are like the biggest fans coming to see it and plus it's just nice to go see a horror christmas movie in the theater and not just go see you know home alone and all the other films uh around christmas time um so yeah like it's it's a it's a bit of a strange movie to kind of encapsulate like try to explain because there's just so much going on. Like it has all those components of like a sleazy 
B movie or a horror movie where you know you get you know nudity and sex scenes and things like that. But what's strange, which what's strange about it is that, like I mentioned last week, that there's uh, <clears throat> it's cut the movie, you know lays down the groundwork for you to sympathize with the killer like and understand like for a yeah. lot of the movie. Yeah. Cause the whole, you know, the, he doesn't become killer Santa until like the hour mark. And so you were just spending an hour with him and enduring all his trauma from his past, which kind of starts with, uh, him, we should say Billy, and his brother, his baby brother. So I think Bill is probably like eight years old or younger, six maybe. And he's going with his family to go visit their uh, grandfather, which is like you know a few states away or some some distance away in uh, in Utah. And uh, what's funny about it is that you know in the film, it's not subtle at all. The place, the facility that they go to. Because uh, he's in a mental institution, is called like Utah Mental Facility or something like that. Just, <laughs> yes. just completely on the nose. Not, not shady acres. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just doesn't care about anybody's <laughs> sensibilities. And so they go. They go. The family goes to visit the grandfather, and the grandfather just does not talk. He's just not not responsive at all. And and so. Um, the the family, like the parents and the baby. Uh, whose name is Ricky, uh, they step out of the room to go speak with the doctor to kind of go over records and just kind of see like where things may end up with the grandfather. And so they're, they're like, all right, Billy, you stay here with grandpa. And and then, you know, right away you're thinking, God, this is just not good news. Something bad's going to happen. And then uh, as soon as they leave the scene, uh, the parents – uh, Billy's alone with the grandfather and the grandfather's just telling, just suddenly starts talking and, and uh, saying some about, diabolical shit to a little kid. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if your kid did see that particular scene, it, it would scare the shit out of them. Um, yeah. because it's, you know, an old man, uh, scary old man who, you know, almost kind of Santa Claus like just cause he's an old man has a beard and everything, uh, telling you that, uh, Santa Claus will kill you. If you are not uh, a good kid for the whole year, and uh, which is, I don't remember if I mentioned this last week, which is kind of funny because you know your your mental plan uh, as a child is to be like you know you can slack off the rest of the, you know eleven months of the year and just be a good kid for the last months, you know, right, and to get the best Christmas presents and. Uh, so this this the, in this particular situation, it's like you got to be good every damn day of your life. Like Elf on the Shelf is there to kill you. Yeah, and, and like and, says, uh, like Santa will punish you mm-hmm. if you <laughs> if are if naughty. You slack off if you are naughty. Yeah. So th- this little kid heard this from this old man, and so he's scarred here. But then it just like yeah. gets way worse for him in like a Batman yeah. origin scenario. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, like on the ride home, of course this kid is starting to you know spills the beans about grandpa telling him this and and then you know the parents are just like no he couldn't have he couldn't have done that and then you know they're listening to Christmas music and this kid is just terrified 
And then, uh, meanwhile, like they're cutting the shots of like this uh, guy who's robbing a convenience store, and he's dressed as Santa. And he shoots the clerk, takes the money. It's only thirty-two dollars or something like that, <laughs> and uh, gets in his car. And then you're like, okay, this guy's gonna pop up and probably uh, really just traumatize this kid, and it does. Um, and so Santa is pulled over on the side of this dark road and is flagging the family down as they're driving back home. And then of course, Billy's like freaking out. It's just like, don't do it. And, um, <laughs> he's the sane one. Yeah. And then this, this Santa, they're like, hey, look, it's Santa. Yeah. Like, trying. Oh, help. We're going to help this Santa out. And then of course it's yeah. the bad guy kills yeah. the father, slits the mother's throat and right well, in front of the kid. Right. Yeah. And rips open her shirt. And yes. so that, that's what I was hinting at earlier when they show like, you know, the sex scenes later on, it's uh, causing flashbacks for Billy and so that that's what you know it's like sleazy and kind of like softcore porn stuff like the, the way the shots because they're like super close up like you see hairy ass cracks and yeah nipples and full frame and um but it, it's it's weird because you know the audience the audience that i watched it with we were just it was just laughing because um you know, it, it, it has like tr- some value to it, more value than it's just kind of strange. Like you would have like these sleazy, disgusting kind of shots that uh, are like softcore porn, but yet it has like value to it because of the trauma of Billy and him seeing his mom get her shirt ripped open. So whenever he sees the sight of a tit, that's what he's thinking of. Yeah, like he's thinking yeah. of this horrible time every time something kind of good's happening, like either Christmas or something sexual. Flashback immediately to like the worst thing ever. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, from from there, like it's. Um... So yeah, af- after the, after that, after this murder, some you know, a little while later, the kids, the two Billy and Ricky, are in an orphanage run by a horrible, horrible nun named Mother, Mother Su- Superior. Mother Su- Superior, Superior, um, <laughs> who just would rather just like beat kids than actually teach them and love them. She just wants to beat them and tell them they're terrible. Yeah. And like, yes. So yeah. This happens, like, constantly, and she has, like, a hatred for Billy and Ricky for no apparent reason. Um, So they kind of grow up in this orphanage, um, which is just so terrible. And it's actually uh, pretty funny, I guess, the nuns bring these two kids to see Santa Claus, like a mall Santa Claus. (laughs) And the little kid gets so scared, (laughs) he just... He does some stuff for that Santa Claus, but then, well, well, yeah, like um, they have like, you know, like a priest or somebody, like somebody that's a friend of the orphanage. I, I might be confusing it with because uh, they have, you know, they jump forward in the future and they have a different Santa when they go back to the orphanage, right? Um, <clears throat> so I may be thinking of like that silent caretaker guy who just who's deaf but it is the second guy that 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 unfortunate situation but um yeah like uh this yeah this mother superior superior uh is just just a flat out like evil mean person 
Um, cause she, she's like one of those people who just doesn't sympathize for anybody because her whole thing is like, I'm saying, why can't you be saying, and just doesn't understand trauma. And in fact, she's and, insane. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so she's just adding more tr- trauma to this, to Billy. Um, and he's like a relatively good kid. It's just around Christmas. He has all these triggers. And so they just don't understand that and won't help him out at all and so like her whole mentality is to is just expose him to all these things because that'll fix it and so yeah exposing him to santa causes him to freak out and uh bad stuff happens um to that santa and so from there we jump forward uh 10 years and it seems like yeah billy is has a job and yeah normal life he kind of likes this girl but then but then on Christmas Eve there something goes wrong he snaps. Yeah. Oh, before we get to that um this is what I this is why I had such a good time watching it with my audience is cuz like I said they were sh- they're showing Billy still being a good guy, good kid. He's like uh like the opening scene of uh uh Saturday Night Fever before you watch the rest of that movie cuz that movie shit. Um <laughs> <laughs> like he's he's a good old stock boy um is just uh working at this uh toy store iris toy store and uh you got this like crazy like michael like from the office kind of boss who's just really goofy and then got this really sleazy guy that works there who's just his only uh sense of i guess worth in this world uh, or the only things of value to him is just being with women. And so he's trying to get with the, the, the young woman that works at the store, which, uh, also, uh, strikes Billy's fancy. And so like they're doing like a montage type of sequence showing him like just enjoying his time there. And they're playing like, like this type of song that you would see on Little House on the Prairie or something like of like the the seventies, just like this like good natured song that's playing. It's just so out of place, and you're like, just what the hell is this movie? And uh, do you remember that song that happens in the film? I don't remember just, the song, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like go back and watch the film, and uh, you'll just laugh your ass off because. It's just like one of those moments where you have like, um, what is it? Girl with the dragon tattoo, like the one that David Fincher did where they're playing like, uh, sail away, sail away <laughs> as he's doing like this sadistic shit. Yeah. It's just like one of those moments, but in opposite, like, <laughs> um, it's just like really out of place. And so, yeah, we, we get to, um, uh, the Santa that they were going to use at this toy store is unavailable. So they ask uh, Billy to put on the Santa suit because Billy will do anything. And he does, and you start to see that uh, uh, slight teases that of what's to come. And um, so after he, after the kids like come to the store and he's like, the parents are like eating it up. They think that he's doing a really good job. Meanwhile, he's and, having like flashbacks to yeah. like Nam and his fucking parents being killed. <laughs> well, that, and he's also telling the kids like, 
have you been good? He's just like, you're, you're, you're like, you're ungrateful little shit kind of, kind yeah. of stuff. Like he's just saying all this stuff and the parents are thinking, Oh, he's being really nice to him. He's really good with kids. Uh, but the, <laughs> the parents just can't hear any of what he's saying. And you can tell that he's just not very, he's just not good at, at being Santa at all and go figure. Um, so they get through the night and, or they get through that and the store closes. And then that's the point where the boss, uh, says, uh, let's get shit-faced. It's like the greatest line of the whole film. Yeah, let's have a holiday party after this. Let's get shit-faced, man. <laughs> yeah, and so they're playing music, and then uh, that sleazy guy is macking on that that girl that Billy likes, and then that causes Billy to uh, freak out because that sleazy guy is, you know, sexually, uh, you know, violating this woman tearing open her shirt and then uh that you know brings flashbacks and so he this is what causes triggered. him to just <laughs> yeah rewire his brain to be that killer santa and so he just it's his mission now to just kill people that are on the naughty list and this uh, is where it becomes weird because he kills the guy who's clearly perhaps trying to rape sexually assault this girl but then he kills the girl too, and I'm like, oh, all bets are off. Yeah. This is just, I mean, yeah, not well, going I, yeah, it, it is. But at the same time, if you like, you can maybe be like, well, you were. It's almost like you're in that situation. You shouldn't have been in that situation because you, you, uh, I liked you, and it seemed like you liked me. So he probably saw it as like an act of betrayal. So he just just put her on the naughty list for that, I guess. And yes, but, yes. But then you know the other people in the place. Um, so the rules are just not established at all. Like the rules seem to have been like, yeah, killed people who are bad, but now it's like he has to cover his tracks because they're gonna, you know, report him and then it's going to all go downhill and his mission is just not going to be accomplished. So it just seems like he, that, that is his mission to kill people on the naughty list and anybody who gets in his way. Yes. So, uh, yeah, they kill, they kill the Michael character, uh, with a hammer to the head and um, there's another like <laughs> older lady who gets gets it the best. She gets shot with a bow and arrow that's in the toy store. Yes, that and is, uh, uh, that is pretty great with a bow and arrow. There, there, there is the axe. So that from the poster, yeah, he makes, does get the axe that's yes, on the does. wall. Yeah, and, and and then from there, it's just like what scenes, what random scenes are they going to show us? Uh, because it's. This is where the movie like gets really messy, like because uh, you kind of go from like this serious kind of trauma story, and then you get into this, the, you know, the B horror movie area where it's uh, like Friday the Thirteenth or like a not so good Halloween sequel, where you see um, kids having sex on a pool table, and then he's I guess just creepily stalking them through the window and sees that they're up to no good and he uh axes down the door like jack torrance and uh well no the lady like lets her lets him in like the this cat runs in and then uh this the, the girl that was ha- uh having sex with this guy she gets probably the best death of the whole movie which i guess um jordan peele like tips his hat to and get out with being killed by 
like deer antlers from like yes. a taxidermy that's on the wall. Yes. So yeah, he she gets uh, lifted onto that onto the antlers and then just dies that way. And then you know, yeah. from there, like there's you know there's more deaths. Like, there's, there's more like, deaths, and it's it's weird because like you know he kills like the girl he likes, but then also he sees like a couple like assholes picking on a couple of kids, and then he like kind of like saves the kids. He he yeah, it just. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> but then it all kind of culminates is that he's after Mother Superior from his childhood, the evil nun. Yeah, and so yeah. it kind of you, gets. You back should to mention that, that uh, you know those ki- those kids that get uh, picked on um, and they steal their sleds. Um, like one of it, it's it's like a really long sequence, and, and that's just kind of what happens. Just like a collection of scenes, and then they go on for a while. And you're just like, it's coming at some point. And uh, the the big bully kid, um, or I guess his like second in command, and uh, goes down the, the, the hillside first, the snow covered hillside first, and sleds down it all the way. And then he's waiting for his, you know, the boss character, boss bully to come down the, the sled, uh, down the hillside. And um, he gets decapitated. Oh yes, by by Billy, and he goes down, slides down the mountain or down the hill, and uh, his, you know his body's up, just like a you know Friday or Freddy versus Jason style, like we're just blood squirting out of it, and it's, it's just a good moment. <laughs> and then you know the other the other kid gets uh, killed, uh, and then that's when he goes back to uh, the orphanage to get Mother Spear and. Um, have a good time. No, yeah, it's uh, it's he in it, like throughout the whole movie, you're you're still kind of sympathizing with him because he's like he's had just a horrible life, and you're just like, oh, but he's killing like bad people, but he's also killing like innocent people too. So it's just kind of like there's a yeah. fine line here, um, of what. Yeah, and I guess that that you still being with him and um, being on his side. Uh, kind of comes from the, I guess the second in command or the person that's under Mother Spear, like she, kind of understands him. Um, I don't, is it? I can't remember her name. It might have been Mother Teresa for all I know. <laughs> um, uh, she like actually cares for for Billy yeah, and Sister understands Margaret, him, but she's yeah, you Margaret. know, yeah, that's what it is. Um, so she cares for Billy and uh, wants what's best for him and just completely understands like all this whole situation. And that's why she's like telling the police officers, like, don't kill him. Like he just doesn't know. And he's just completely misguided. And so, um, but you know, at the same time she wants him to build, to have free will and uh, be out there in the world. That's why he gets a job at this, this, the toy store and wants what's best for him. But once, you know, him to have his individuality and be able to you know grow himself and doesn't need to be guided his have his hand held but you know that's a a bigger uh discussion i would say but um yeah when we get to the orphanage back to orphanage police officers are tipped that that's where he's heading and um there's one police officer that gets there first 
And then uh, there's a Santa that is making his way towards the children that are playing outside. And and uh, this police officer tells the, the kids to get out of there. And he shoots this uh, Santa dead. And then they find out that it was not the right Santa. It was uh, like the silent caretaker or the, the, the one that's deaf at the orphanage. So he killed the wrong guy. And... That brings a whole other layer of complexity to the situation, and um, Billy does actually arrive. He's hiding out. He knows like the secret passages to get inside the orphanage, and um, so I guess at this point, since we're like this far along, might as well just keep going, spoil it. I assume that we've been spent enough time. The movie came out in 1984, so. Um, <clears throat> Uh, a kid lets Billy into the into the orphanage because you know he's Santa, and then um, Billy is shot dead, and um, his brother, his younger brother Ricky, witnesses it, and the camera pans to him and he says "naughty," and so it's just one of those like great halloween four kind of moments where it's just like man anything can happen at this point and it's so great that the that the sequel's gonna have ricky as the killer santa now and he fully understands billy and where he's coming from because you know ricky was too young to remember any of that but as you'll see in the sequel apparently he does right (laughs) um so uh yeah um i guess our final thoughts on silent night deadly night uh I really like it. It's one of my favorite uh, movies, horror movies to watch around Christmas. I, I think you just, it's just like I've been saying this entire uh, analysis that we've given that it's just a, a, a crazy experience because you're just watching so many movies that are just snowballed into one and where it has like these elements from all different types of genres and it's just it's like it's it's messy, it's good, it's sleazy, it's fun and it's it's really funny because the same things that I was talking about with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation like it just seems like the filmmakers just didn't know that they were crafting something that could be taken in a funny kind of way um like what I was saying with that song, it's it's just like it's a crazy experience, but it's so good. Um, so I really like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and I, I assume you do too, Brian. No, I do, I do. I think all of that is there. I think there's again the underlying kind of like of child abuse and religion playing like a negative part in a child's life and just scarring children, and they come up and just. It's not properly dealt with, but it's on its own. I mean, yeah, there are bad moments to this movie, but it's also really good. Um, But I like it. But if we talk, if we move on to Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, it just, it became kind of like uh, The Room um, of horror movies because it's so horrible, but in like a funny, ridiculous way that it's like, it's even like worse than like Text Chainsaw Massacre Next Generation. Um, oh, big time. So this kind of – this Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, first off, the studio didn't want to make it. And actually these these idiot studio people were like, hey, we'll give you like a few thousand dollars and we'll have you just re-edit the first movie and make it into a new movie. 
And the director's yeah. like, uh, fuck no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to make my own movie. But they gave him such little amount of money that literally a third of this movie are just flashbacks from the previous film. The first 40 minutes yeah. is just uh, just the highlights of the first film. Yeah, it's... And I had never seen Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, um, just because I, I, I like held off like just wanting to hope that it would be something good but then you know there's the the garbage day meme that's like floating around and then like even alamo at some of their screens how they do uh like funny little promo videos to like show like you shouldn't talk during the movie there's a scene in silent night deadly night 2 where uh ricky is in the theater and he's just pissed off that this guy is just talking during the movie and he goes and kills him yep. so like it's just like this movie's just generated a lot of I keep saying value, but it's just perfect here. It's generated a lot of value over time because of people mocking it, and that's what makes it enjoyable. So I would say, yeah, first forty minutes of it is just a complete waste of time, and which is like a third you, or even off like the half of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's just uh like i don't need to watch the highlights like i if you watch them like back to back like it's it just like man just skip ahead yeah so uh part yeah go for it yeah part two kind of um picks up you know so there are the two brothers from the first film ricky and billy so ricky's the younger one so uh this the sequel kind of picks up some years after the first film and Ricky is in a mental hospital, which we talked about before. Um, and uh, he talks about the murders of his parents and what Billy did and all that stuff. And then um, it seems like he was adopted and had a good upbringing um, is what it is alluded to in this second film. Uh, but the trauma and all of his like psychosis was never dealt with. So... Um, uh, so after his foster father, the person who adopted him dies, he kind of like, uh, loses his shit and just starts killing people. And he's targeting people who are naughty, just like his brother did. Uh, but then, you know, he's dating somebody and when her ex-boyfriend shows up, it's just like off the deep end. And we're talking like, so the kills here are like next level silly, like, uh, jumper cables for your car or like he literally comes across a dude in an alleyway and like this this version of Ricky he's kind of like the Terminator where he can like stand he's like physically built and can like lift somebody with his like one arm up in the air hmm. and he shoves an umbrella into this person and then opens it up but yeah. the scene that's the best that's the best kill of the entire film just cause <laughs> It, it's it's like you know you stab somebody with the umbrella and opens it up and it's like catching the splatter from yes. the blood that's like gonna go over the wall. Yes. Um. Yeah. But then you know it gets lame from there. But yeah. But the other silly moments, like Preston said, gar- it's garbage day. There's just like some some dude taking out his garbage in the middle of like the day. Sun's out, and um. <laughs> 
Ricky just stands there and shoots the guy and then just set, yells in the middle of the street, it's garbage day, and then has this like maniacal, silly laugh to it. Yeah. And that's kind of like the gif or the clip that everybody sees. Um, and then it goes from there. He wants to carry on the legacy of his brother. He goes back to try to find Mother Superior and uh, played by a different actress. Correct. And um, he does his deed. Um, her head is chopped off, but he tries to put it back on her, <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny. And then the cops come in. They they shoot Ricky. But then the final shot of the movie is just to just play on with the silliness of the movie. He's like opens his eyes and it's like, yeah, I'm alive, bitches, in like freeze frame. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um the I would say the reason why it's it you know, I would argue more that it's just bad and it's bad, but uh there's like enjoyment from it, but I would say that you could watch like clips from YouTube and have a good time, but um Eric Freeman, the guy who plays Ricky, um, the older Ricky, he is just so, so bad. Like one of the worst actors ever. And just his delivery of these moments is just like, like college film bad, or maybe yeah, like student film bad, like high school bad. Um, where you just have like, you know, some, your friend play, the the character in the film and just his delivery of like with it's garbage day or like even when uh there there is a moment that uh harkens back to like the shining where he's like axing down a door and he put peeks through the hole and he says something uh i can't remember what he says verbatim but it's just delivered in a way that it's just so matter of fact like he's just saying the lines. He doesn't believe the lines <laughs> he, at all. He, he doesn't believe that he's actually this killer, but it shows. He's what, what um, Preston said earlier: acting. This guy yeah. is not acting. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Like, um, yeah, he, it's not like he wrote the words at all. Which is like what what you're trying to do as an actor. You're adopting the language and believing that you came up with it and. He's just not doing that. He's just shouting the lines, and I guess that's good enough. And but similarly to Texas Chainsaw Four, there's just not a lot makes sense. And I guess most of it kind of comes from like the flashbacks. Like, dude, Ricky was a baby. He doesn't remember any of that. And so for him to like have this commentary about like everything of what happens in the first film it's like silly commentary it's like you know brought this up before on the podcast in the past talking about arnold schwarzenegger's commentaries for his own films where he's just stating what's happening or just trying to bring complexity more complexity to a situation that's already complex and it's like why and like, uh, like for instance, there's like a scene where he's reflecting on that the night that his parents were killed, and he's just like, "I was there," and uh, and I don't know what my parents were thinking, but I guess I do know what they were thinking. It's just like just like bullshit, and makes no sense. And then 
there's like a scene that happens later on where some people are about to have sex in on a golf course and this brings back flashbacks to it's trying to be the first movie but it's just not justified or it's just it doesn't it doesn't uh make sense because ricky didn't have those flashbacks so he he can't earn that that sort of of that sort of flashback and to uh, have any sort of desire to kill them more, I guess just kind of coming from Billy. It's all just like him adopting Billy's brain and then just carrying it on from there. And you're just supposed to accept it, but you can't. And so it just creates a bad movie. So on top of like the character motivations, just not making any sense and not living up to what, the sequel could have been if they had more money. Um, like none of the silent night, deadly night, especially the third one that has Bill Mosley in it. Um, doesn't, doesn't live up to the first one. Doesn't try to unfold. Like you think a sequel would like you think, Oh, his brother would become the killer. So we would just have right away him, uh, grown up and killing people the entire time but no it's just like you know you have the first 40 minutes of the first one you're spent the entire time sympathizing with him understanding his trauma this one is trying to do the same thing it's just it, none of it's earned and so that makes it a bad movie so the only uh sense of worth i get from the entire film is just those ridiculous moments where it just i guess it's kind of coming from eric freeman's performance where he's just so bad that it's good and so it is just overall not a good movie whatsoever. But you will uh, laugh I enjoy- more at this than anything. Yeah. And say to yourself, "What the fuck is this? This is so yeah. crazy." Yeah. Like, not, you just not can't believe like people would have thunk this up. Yes. Yeah. You're just like, well, you know, given the budget, the filmmakers were like coming off the studio like. They just want us to re-edit the first movie and make a different movie. How the hell are we going to do that? Well, yeah. we're going to make a whole like movie. You, you got you got a week. Figure it out. <laughs> well, we could use like half the movie from the first movie and then move on and just have this guy running around killing people, saying naughty and laughing. And we got and, some. And, <laughs> and he doesn't have a, uh, a a beard in this one. Like Santa does not have a beard. Nope. And when uh robert brian wilson was at that screening at the alamo that i went to he was talking about how he wasn't supposed to have any lines in the film he's supposed to be more like uh you know michael myers or uh jason Voorhees, where he's just that that, that's all the film is going to be it's just like let's just take you know uh that that whole iconic horror figure and just make him santa but then they brought more depth to it and gave him speaking lines and had you sympathize. And that's what makes it stand out as a movie. And then them trying to redo that with this guy, but you just don't, you don't sympathize with him at all. He's just a ridiculous buffoon of a character. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It's uh, it's, it's insane. If you're going to watch the first one, you got to see the second one. I mean, there's like two or three other ones after this, but they don't really make sense at all. 
from these yeah. first two. I haven't seen the fourth or fifth one. Have you? I have not. I I wanted I want to see the fifth one because uh, during the Q and A for that Robert Brian Wilson thing, somebody said uh, Mickey Rooney was uh, he made it known that he hated Silent Night. Deadly Night thought it was a disgusting movie. Yet he is in the fifth one, <laughs> and which is crazy. But a lot of people think it's because it's like Silent Night, Deadly Night Five, to- the Toy Maker. Yeah, it has and nothing so, to do with this first two. Yeah, so they just called it. They probably just called it on set, just the Toy Maker. Yeah, and and then just later added Silent Night, Deadly Night. So I wonder, like, what he thought of that. He's like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. You funny. motherfuckers. Um. So yeah, that is Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part One and Two. Um. Our our big, uh, not our last Christmas episode because I think we'll be back back next week. Before Christmas, but we wanted to get Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2 in here for you. Because last week we didn't have time to do it, but we glad we made this the special feature, the main feature. And they're both on Scream Factory in big collector's editions with tons of extras on them. Yeah, yeah. And, and like uh, Texas Chainsaw 4, again, uh, the bonus features for Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 are pretty good. Um, I'm noticing that uh, Scream Factory's put in a lot of a lot more uh, creativity and like, I guess they're getting more money to uh, make the camera look better, get better interviews. Uh, Cause I also uh, watch Starman, which they also put out and they got like Jeff Bridges on there. And, and so it's just looking crisper, like the way that there's cutting it all together using uh, footage from the movie and stills and things like that. So th- they're fun. Like they're, uh, it was like high dollar bonus features, and then the the people that they interview for Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. It, it's just people like I've been saying. Uh, they're just been being brutally honest, talking about their experience and like what works, what doesn't work, and yeah. so I think that that's just what makes it great. And I think that'll be a common theme that we bring up in a lot of our reviews going forward if we're reviewing terrible movies it's it's just going to be like one of those situations where the it's so bad it's good it's enjoy it can be enjoyed with a lot of people and the extras are make the movie even more interesting and are fascinating uh to kind of hear like why would anybody think that it's this is a good idea and yet you know to hear them talk about it just makes it hilarious and fun and so uh i guess at this point we're pretty much like the the podcast for Scream Factory. Yes, at this, yes. At this point, kind of just breaking down everything that they do. But uh, uh, I just I love Scream Factory. I am just a nut for collecting all their stuff, and uh, my library is like almost two hundred, and of all their all their films, I just can't have enough of it. So. Love we we need to we need to work on this. We need to we need to get into Scream Factory and do their official podcast. We'll ask. Yeah, I know that they did they did their uh, shout takes for a little bit, and um, I wasn't a huge fan of that because I didn't. This, this is me being brutally honest. I didn't think that the moderator, the guy who was in control, the, the host of the show, wasn't 
doing a good job. It, it just felt like uh, bonus features uh, that were left on the cutting room floor that didn't make it into the disc, and so they just kind of throw it in there. And um, yeah, I would, man, I would love to. Love uh, to do yeah, that. shout factory if you're hiring. We'll uh, we'll we'll send them emails. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, we are My Bloody Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and look up Scream Factory for all the latest releases, and listen to us to, for to get all the scoops on everything. We'll dissect it, we'll talk about it, we'll make you love it. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with a great Christmas episode as well, before Christmas. Um, yes. But yeah, I'm Brian Kluger, and Preston Barta is the man to know, to love, to worship. Where can they do this? Uh, you can you can do this anywhere you are. You can <laughs> uh, you can you can pray for me and about me on your living room floor on your couch. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you can you can find me on Twitter at Preston Barta. You can write at me, talk about how I'm not very articulate, whatever. Um, you can, uh, find my writing on dittonrc.com for the Ditton Record Chronicle. I'm also the features editor of freshfiction.tv where we're posting the latest movie reviews and Blu-ray reviews and interviews, all the fun stuff for movies. So not just horror stuff, just everything on the spectrum. Good deal. Good deal. I like it. We'll be back next week with the Christmas episode. But until then, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 1 and 2, Horror of Dracula, and Rare Exports. All good stuff you should check out. And we'll be back next week. And thank you to Preston. Thank you.